0: I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to Magic Hour. When I went to visit Matt Leifheit last month at his Matt HQ storefront in Ocean Hill, Brooklyn, I found him with a paint bucket in hand, touching up a few spots on the walls from an exhibition that was just taken down. The space is on the ground floor of the building in which he resides. He opened it last year to do exhibitions, book launches, and special events. It became a new extension of Matt Editions, the publishing initiative which he founded over a decade ago. With it, he's published Matt Magazine, books, and has put on shows all at the same time of making his own photographs. He also teaches, writes, and has worked as an editor at magazines. I think that's the thing that's always impressed me about Matt, his involvement in many different capacities within the medium, each activity informing another. As a photographer, his work often takes the form of projects, in which he adopts a format and style for each one, much like a director would on a film. This spring, his first monograph, To Die Alive, is being published, made up of photos taken on Fire Island over the past five years. I asked him about the kinds of people he likes to photograph.
1: I rarely have photographed like the person that I'm with or romantically involved with, or people or my dear friends I almost never photograph. Why? Um, because I think it's easier to allow a space of projection. I think kind of like, a hookup or something where it's really more about like encountering someone who you can project your fantasy onto and have that play out. It's like photographing people who I'm not intimately involved with or who I don't know, you know, the faces that they make allows me to kind of project onto them in a a more fully realized way. Mm Um, for the most part, I'm interested in kind of like creating the space where I can kind of mold them into what I want. Right. One time I was on a panel about portraiture with Elliot Jerome Brown Jr., my favorite living photographer mm-hmm. and friend of the pod, I guess. And uh, he was talking about how he wanted to leave his subjects the space to kind of define themselves within the frame and this very generous process of kind of allowing people agency within his photographs and I thought I want the opposite thing, which is to skin someone alive and turn their flesh inside out, you know? <laughs> I think, um because yeah. Because that's what I want. Yeah. I feel like it's I partly got into photography because I loved Avidon and that is sculpture. You know, it's like molding the subject into what it's what you want it to be. Right. And I think that my process is more Maybe like that, then yeah. Irving Penn or someone, yeah,
0: right, yeah. A- Avidon was uh, he was he was definitely a bit of a troublemaker. I always love that story of you know photographing the Duke and Duchess of Windsor with the dog with the dog. Yeah, you know that story. Oh, he's, yeah. he, he he showed up late <laughs> for the shoot, and I am um, sorry. He he walks in like in a in a flurry, and oh, it's like well, you know. I am sorry, I'm, I was late. Like on the way over, like I I hit a dog and killed a dog or something. and Yeah. Or he, he, he told them the story just as he was setting up his camera and they were in front of it and he waited for them. Well, because they He manipulated such... that expression. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He chose the moment of them dropping the mask of their... Uh, you know, because I think that was uh, a situation where those people had a really elaborate self-presentation worked out and he needed to figure out a way to get through that. Right. Um, I feel like I'm also usually trying to work with someone in order to break through... Something or to achieve something that I have in mind. Not that I, I really go into things and I, improv- I improv- improvise. I don't usually have like a specific arrangement that I'm looking for, but sometimes I do.
0: Mm-hmm. You're just telling me that you're going to New Orleans this week with, um, and traveling there with one of your, um, your biggest mentors, Elizabeth Biondi. How did you guys meet? How did that relationship come about?
1: I was her intern at the New Yorker in 2009. Sort of can't believe that I got that position because i think i was I was going into my sophomore year of college and it was very um like i remember going to i bought new clothes for the interview at this place in boston where you had to dig through clothes and you would buy them by the pound like mm-hmm. just like rags and then somehow it worked out and i was terrified of her at the time she says it's just the furniture that came with her office at the New Yorker, but I've heard from multiple people that there was a very low chair that I do remember sitting in during the interview, so you had to look up at her at the desk. No way. And it felt very intimidating. <laughs> but I think it was the... Um, she claims it was what they gave her.
0: <laughs> wow, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: no, but I think I've learned more about photos from her than anybody else. in my. Despite having a wealth of wonderful teachers that I've been lucky to... Meet, but I think Elizabeth um, mostly through like sequencing photographs. I think you can really learn a lot by watching someone combine and recombine images and seeing how they change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And just in terms of like how I work with people and approach my own publishing stuff, she's been she's always there and always helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. That was like one of your first jobs in photo.
1: Yes. Yeah. Although I don't know if I'd call it a job. I think they gave me thirty dollars <laughs> a week, <on> metro card. <laughs> But um, but it was amazing. I mean, I got to meet photographers that they were working with, and uh, David Remnick would have these like lunches with the interns, where he would talk about magazine issues. And I felt very out of my depths. It was like everyone else was like a graduate student at Columbia or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but Elizabeth and I ended up forming a relationship, and then after she left the New Yorker, I would sometimes help her with. I don't know, arranging photos for a competition she was judging, or just like I do show her my work, but it's always she's not the first person that I show anything. It's always when it's at like a later stage and I'm ready for feedback because well, she edited the book of my Fire Island pictures that's coming out, and she I brought her like 180 photographs to her house in Sag Harbor, and she uh, went through them all with me, and we spent like two days working on it very intensely and uh but it's hard to find someone who will uh tell you this is boring mm-hmm. which she said frequently throughout this process uh and i think it's valuable though it's like hard to find someone where you, you and someone where you won't be hurt by hearing that mm-hmm. because you can at least with her i can understand this is what you're coming from uh this is your perspective
0: right so how do you guys work on the edit like what was the methodology
1: I brought prints of everything and we laid mm-hmm. them out on her long table and on the floor and she would remove things or she would say the middle is a bit wobbly is what she said about one thing or, uh, and then there were particular photographs that we would, uh, have longer discussions about whether they should be included or not. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so stuff that was, so you started off with 180 pictures and stuff that was, let's say that didn't make the cut or that was boring, got tossed
1: yeah or that didn't work in this kind of version of it and so it was cut down to 77 pictures i went there saying oh maybe we'll get 120 but (laughs) it it was 77 and somehow i don't miss any of what was cut out i feel like it was i've been working on that project for like five or six years and so there were so many versions of each thing and it was kind of about finding the best articulation of one idea Mm -hmm. um which you need someone else to do sometimes.
0: Can you describe like the uh the tone or the feel that you guys were talking about in working on the edit?
1: Yeah. I feel like it's um uh well there's kind of a progression of the pictures that go from the built environment through this uh Forest, cruising ground and into the kind of most primordial thing which is the sea and so the pictures start very like campy and also involve a lot of uh, red and yellow and bright colors and then in the middle it gets kind of green and brown and then the end is very dark there's not really people in it it's mostly shadows and it's um, uh, very black and blue Um, and so I think the tone of this body of work is very operatic and it's kind of like i think it's like if it's an opera it's like a tragic opera mm-hmm. and so i think it was about constructing this kind of uh i don't know narrative of tragedy
0: why why tragedy in relation to the subject matter because it's all the pictures are all made in fire island right yes and quite a few of them at the belvedere hotel the
1: first chapter has it's maybe kind of three chapters and there's um a lot of pictures that the belvedere Guest house for men, and then there's... Uh... <laughs> guest house, excuse me, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's because, um, I think with that place we can anticipate its demise because of... Oh, God, Debra. Sorry, Deb. She's being so good. Um, I think with that place we can anticipate its demise due to global warming and due to, like, climate change. It's a very fragile place that's a barrier island, um, which is always changing in the tides. But then I also think it's really depicting this group of people... Um, who I would call fags? Should I get Deb out of the room? I'm sorry, my dog is here and she's no, she's cute. Around.
0: She's cute. Um, I don't. I don't mind her here.
1: Okay, good. Well, you have to be quiet, Deb. Um, yeah, I think that increasingly my work has become about like fags, which I I am. It's a group that I subscribe to myself, and kind of the evolution of that work is like from thinking about, like, my people or kind of, like, my cultural group. And if, you know, I am someone who would describe myself as, like, a gay man, I'm not really, like, queer or nonconforming. I'm just a fag. And mm-hmm. so I think that that is a group that is, you know, really interesting because it has gone from... uh you know, these people were actually so subversive that they were illegal in their lifetimes. A lot of older guys that I meet and have been photographing. And now I think are seen by younger generations as being kind of aligned with heteronormative culture or as having this experience of privilege. So uh, I think it's interesting territory.
0: But what about the tragedy element? Oh,
1: right. So I think it's... uh, In terms of the Fire Island work, I think it's like... Uh, kind of a paradise that is built by a group of people who are on the brink of change you know and I think that that is part of the work Mm -hmm. Um, and I think to look at the place and to see that it is you know I don't really think that the work that I've made about it is necessarily like a celebration I feel like it's kind of a reflection of how I've experienced sexuality and how I've experienced that place which is like (laughs) beautiful but complicated and dark as
0: well but there is an interesting through line in all of your work. You have a particular kind of interest in subject matter. Like your projects vary in terms of like, um, and the way that you go about your projects vary even in terms of like format. But there's something about your, there's like a pervasive interest that is, I don't know how to describe it. Like there's, um, you wonder if you're, if you love what you're looking at or if you're, um, making a critique or if it's a bit of both or if like um, I wonder if you could speak about that at all like or if you if you think about that I
1: find that there is a problem where people feel like with depictions of queerness or you know sexuality there is photography seems to think that all we can do is like celebrate it you know like how many like id magazine articles have there been of like you know, celebrating these beautiful pictures of queer couples or whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's great and important, but I feel like the subjects that I'm always more interested in demand like a kind of more complicated way of looking at something than celebrating it. I think it's, and I think photography is unique in the way that it can kind of present something and it can, but you don't have to kind of spell out how you feel about it all the way. It can be something expressed in style. It can be something expressed in emotion and in kind of an interaction with the subject.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: um, you can create a kind of more inflected document, which I see this work as completely documentary, even though it's all staged. I feel like it's the only way that I could show this exactly the way that I have experienced it is to completely, elaborately stage everything.
0: So you see it as a reflection? You see the pictures as a reflection of your experience? of yes. These spaces, places, people, Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I think it's it's all about me, although there's no pictures of me in it at all. And I think the more that I can put of myself into it, the better I like it, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like one of my heroes, Tennessee Williams, I think you can look at the plays that he wrote over his lifetime, and you can tell what his life was like and how his, his views changed over time. Mm-hmm. But it's not like... He's writing about his experience exactly. It's kind of projective.
0: How did you go about um, finding and selecting the people that you photograph?
1: Some of the main people in the book are the performance artists Jack Waters and Peter Kramer, who have been in like every project that I've done, and they're wonderful. And they bring a lot to the pictures. A lot of them, though, are very um, brief encounters. They're, uh, I feel like in this body of work in particular, I find people through kind of the most promiscuous means possible. So there's like uh, <laughs> posters in like the uh, the message boards in town that say like nudes needed is, and the, is the headline and then it's like I'm offering to hire people to model for like at an hourly rate um, for photographs. And then also I find people on apps and I find uh, there was one guy Mike who is like a bartender at the underwear party that happens in the summer who I'd wanted to photograph for years because he has these beautiful bright blue eyes. And, Mm um, and so that was eventually talking to him and convincing him to do this shoot. And it's one of my favorite pictures in the book, but I don't know, as kind of a shy person, it's not like I can usually go out to a bar or a party and like convince someone into meeting me for a photo shoot later. It's like something that has to be more kind of, uh, professionalized or
0: you feel like you're shy yes you feel like you're a shy person i do really do you not (laughs) no totally not i wouldn't uh i definitely wouldn't think of you as someone who's shy but i'm fascinated by the idea of how we see ourselves versus Mm -hmm. how interesting yeah yeah
1: i like to photograph people i like to publish people's work who are not me and so (laughs) i end up interacting with a lot of people but i do think that uh it's something that I have to manage in terms of my energy, like how many people I'm interacting with Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff, because it's not something that's always um, adding to my wellspring of creativity.
0: Mm -hmm. But there's something about like, uh, is there a shyness in approaching someone or like um, approaching someone, asking them to to, like having that desire to want to take someone's picture, but being a little bit afraid to do it. Is that always kind of, weird? Oh yeah. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. I
1: hate, I mean, it's kind of, it's like, you know, working up the courage to be like, Hey, can I take your picture? It's like kind of a weird, it's a, it's yeah. kind of, um, uh, a hard thing to explain to people often because I'm also looking for like, uh, often like in, in and not work at least like a nudity or erotic or sexual, you know, uh, performance and and it is like it's not fun to do my photo shoots because you're like naked and wet in a tree for two hours you know and i feel like it's uh so it is Mm -hmm. work and it is something that requires a lot a prolonged exchange for me usually of like well
0: a few hours but I, i remember you saying that uh in another interview that you really you like photographing people who like to be photographed yes yeah yeah um. Yeah. Do you think that's because it makes a sort of the, the job a bit easier? Like if you know someone wants to be photographed, then it's easier to approach them. And um, it, yeah, there's a certain kind of comfort there.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. that was I think coming out of the work that I made in grad school was mostly that I was a reporter for the Yale Daily News and I was going into these situations where I felt kind of like I wasn't supposed to be there because it was. I was 10 years older than all the other you know, <laughs> students. And uh, and there were, it was like secret society parties and stuff that I was interested in. And so a lot of it felt like um, with the kind of reason of being a school newspaper photographer, I was allowed to photograph a lot of things. But it wasn't necessarily that people were eager to be photographed in these situations. And mm-hmm. so coming out of that, when I moved back to New York, I noticed there were all of these gay men who seemed to really like attention and wouldn't it be nice to photograph these people and so that I call my thought photography phase and that was where I was just it was um interesting to me because I could meet these people and I could participate in the kind of visualization of desire of for them in some way And I thought this could be an interesting place, you know, for me to be producing work. And in the end, I kind of decided that a lot of those people were too beautiful. The pictures were kind of too pretty. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, yeah, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, getting back to like trying to make something that reflects the way that I have felt. I wanted to photograph something that I felt more complicated about. And at first, I remember I met with, with Paul Mowgli at Time Magazine, who has he been on the podcast not he's yet. a lovely person and i was talking about like my fear of like aging as like a gay man which that's a definitely a factor in the work and he was like you should photograph that and i do think there is this thing of like kind of particularly with gay men the kind of obsession with youth and uh you know eventually being betrayed by the mirror and kind of the <laughs> <laughs> the horror of that is um, interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And so I, yeah, like I've been photographing this guy, Frank, who's like a nudist who I met in Florida, who is in his, well, he's older and very deeply tanned. And I saw him out in the water, like bobbing up and down with his deep tan and his white silver hair. And I, I thought I need to photograph that person. And that was one of the rare occurrences. We were both at a nude beach, at Hallover Beach in mm. North Miami. And I did go up to him and say, can I take your picture? And he said, I'll pay you $200 to take my picture. Really? <laughs> Which he didn't. But I. But it's become like a really longer, more involved project where I'm photographing him in different situations with different people. I'm really fascinated by his life. And he's someone who really wants to be seen. Like he's an exhibitionist. So I think these shoots are mutually exciting for both of us and he doesn't really have a very practiced idea about what he wants to look like in pictures so i really like that that it's like not he's not presenting you with the face and it's a generational thing too where i think younger people have a more practiced way of interacting with the camera and i like photographing people who are maybe a little more receptive to direction or
0: you can kind of play together yeah yeah I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to my conversation with Matt Leifheit. To browse our archive of over 50 interviews with photographers and people involved in the medium, visit us at www.magichourphoto.org, where you can also check out the books that we just published. Peter Hujar's Day by Linda Rosenkrantz and The Ice Palace is Gone by Ian Lewandowski. You just printed your Fire Island book. You went to Italy to print it. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Where did you print it?
1: It was at um, Graphicom in Verona. It's published by Damiani.
0: By Damiani.
1: And that was a long process of deciding how to publish that work. I met with a number of publishers about it and had very nice conversations with people. In the end, I decided if I wasn't going to publish it myself because I was meeting with kind of like niche art publishers and I eventually realized that I am myself a niche art publisher. And so then... If I was not going to do it myself, it should be someone with really good distribution. So Mm. my ideal location for this book is like the bargain bin of a Midwestern Barnes and Noble store (laughs) where someone might encounter it who thought this world Mm. doesn't never existed or who thought that this world, you know, died in the AIDS crisis or something. I feel like someone could encounter this book and see that there's a world that exists on Fire Island that is beautiful and sexy and complicated and terrifying and everything, you know, I feel mm-hmm. like it should, hopefully it can encapsulate everything that I feel about the place. But I think that to be able to kind of put that somewhere where someone who's not expecting it might encounter it is the goal.
0: Mm. That sounds like a pretty good goal.
1: I like that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Cause I have a wonderful distributor citizen editions who oh. I really like and he's, you know, it really makes sense for smaller publishers. And I'm doing a small edition of, you know, the books that I'm publishing. Um, but for this work, I really just want it to be out there. I feel like I do things in a way most of my life where it's purposefully obscure. And sometimes it seems like it would be nice to do something that just is not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that will just be around.
0: Mm. So when does the book, When's it come out?
1: It comes out in march in europe and april in the u.s nice so quite a while really but i'm hoping that i'll get the a few copies from the printer once it's bound in a couple of weeks
0: Mm. did you come back with the fngs or
1: yes is that what these are that's what yeah um yeah i was it was actually really easy to print it because i my photos don't have any like neutral colors or like there's no like right skin tone in it it's all kind of like green or you know expressively right. color balanced and yeah. so some some would say wrong but i it makes it like the printing can just be based on like ooh wouldn't it be you know a little more luscious if it had more black it's not like oh it's not quite the perfect gray you know right, right. um which other books that i printed of other people's work there has been more kind of fine tuning needed about the neutral colors and skin tones
0: well i'm looking forward to seeing it and um sounds like it's going to be an exciting year
1: I guess so I don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible to put anything out don't you think Um,
0: why what do you mean I, you mean like it's a bit nerve wracking
1: it's terrifying to like put something out in the yeah. world um, uh, yeah.
0: yeah no it is it is <laughs>
1: Um, and especially with my own work I'm much better at talking about other people's work and saying oh isn't this great and with my own stuff I need to get better about being like yep I did it you know I think that's also something that seems nice about working with another publisher is, like, they have a reason to also get it out there. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think the key thing, though, is the actual doing it. Because, I mean, I think everyone has that fear, that ambivalence. And uh, getting over that hurdle is, like, I feel like that's the, that's the challenge or that's the hard part. The actual doing it.
1: The doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I have to believe that that is where... <laughs> The energy should be located. You know, it's like that, and it is the part that I get the most. It's not really the doing it that I get the most joy out of, but the having it. It's like the going back and looking at the photos and yeah, hoarding them and organizing them is like my main.
0: Like after the fact, after it's done, or in in making it,
1: after it's done. Mm -hmm. I feel like usually the interactions and the everything stresses me out about you know making the work and Mm -hmm. then, but the having of the work is very gratifying to me.
0: Mm -hmm. In As a book or just the actual pictures themselves?
1: Just the pictures themselves. I think it's like going through the film and looking at it is really where I experience the most joy in the process. Right. I always have felt like, wouldn't it be the most gratifying thing to have a book out? You know, because I could go into a store and I could say, that's my book. Mm -hmm. Um, but, But I don't know. I was talking to a friend and he was like, that's probably fleeting too. You know, it's like, I think that these things, you have to really enjoy making it. It can't be about how people are gonna receive it or what, you know, accolades you might get or anything like that. It kind of has to be for the love of actually making it.
0: You're, I feel like you're a really unique character in the photography world because you do, you're involved with lots of different activities. And I've always really admired that about you. You've worked in the capacity of editor at magazines. You started your own magazine, Matt Magazine. You teach, you publish books now. Where where does that all come from? Where does that, like, um, that desire to be involved in different activities come from? I don't
1: know. Growing up, I always felt that I was going to die really young for some reason. <laughs> like, I had, like, a <laughs> James Dean complex. And I feel like now I have... I felt like there was, you know... And I still feel that, you know, like, anyone there's only so much time you get to express things in life. And I have so much that I would like to express in so many different forms. And so it seems like there's no time to get all of this done. Even if I live to be a hundred, I think there's still going to be things left unexpressed. And so uh, I have thought that whatever I can do to leave a trail <laughs> of, uh, you know, uh, what I thought was important and what I um, thought was beautiful I needed to do that. And... But also, I think there is kind of a... Um, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm right. I feel like in the things... <laughs> I feel like in the things that I publish and the things... And every job that I've had, I have I run into a problem or every... You know, where it's kind of just like, <laughs> oh, well, I feel like I could do this better on my own. Or, or like the more the way that I want to. And so... When I've had photo editing jobs, it's been really nice to have my own publication on the side where the things that I could publish would just be exactly what I wanted to publish. I worked briefly for Collier Shore, who's another one of my heroes. And I remember her telling me something like she said, you and me, we cover the waterfront. And I was like, sure, I don't know. At the time, I didn't know. (laughs) I still am not sure. But I think um, I think it maybe means, you know, you've been the longshoreman, you've worked the docks. You've, Mm -hmm. you've driven the fish trucks. I don't know what it means, but Mm -hmm. it's like, but I do think it's like, um, to be involved in every part of what I'm doing, you know, cause photography is all, it's already very narrow. And so I think as variously as I can be involved in photography, the better.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Is that how, did you start the magazine? Was it, you were working as an editor at the time and there was work that you wanted to publish and that became an outlet for it?
1: It was my thesis at Rhode Island School of Design.
0: The magazine was. The magazine was. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the fourth issue was my own work. And mm-hmm. um, it was because I had been Elizabeth's intern at The New Yorker and had sort of seen how that worked. And uh, and then I worked also at like a photo agency and I didn't, um, you know, it kind of clashed with my youthful idealism. You know, because this place was just taking like, you know, getting commercial jobs for overblown, boring photographers who just did the same thing over and over. And I thought, well, my friends at art school can do better than this, you know. And so I'll start some kind of platform where I can show the good things that I think are happening around me. And so I really just started with people that I knew from school and f- 58 issues later. 58? Here we are. Yeah. <laughs>
0: wow, that's amazing. Thanks. It's a lot of issues.
1: It's quite a few. It's a lot of work. It's 10 years of work, yeah. And I feel like I told you I had good news that I might be able to share, which is that Yale, the Beinecke Library, collected the full set of everything. Oh, fantastic. With, like, the the archives. Because there was, like, a flood here when all the flooding was happening in the fall. And since the beginning, since I started it in 2010, I've been saving every draft, every note, every, you know, like...
0: For the magazine, yeah,
1: everything related to all this publishing stuff. And in the flood, it was like the water came within six inches of the wow, <laughs> like archives. And I was Shit. like, I need to get this out of here because I do think it—it's like a decade of photography when things really changed a lot. And it was like also kind of an experiment in like I could be a magazine myself as one person. Mm-hmm. So, and it's also like a record of specifically emerging photography from that decade, which I think shows kind of the democratization of the medium in a more kind of ground level Mm -hmm. than anything else
0: yeah are you still you're still doing regular issues yeah i'm kind of slowing down yeah
1: if i'm being honest i think about shutting it down every day yeah uh but then
0: when you but does this (laughs) ever happen like you know you feel like that but then when you do one of them you sort of get you know the energy gets rejuvenated in a way
1: Sort of. I mean, I, I don't know. I honestly, I might stop. It's like in relation to doing many things at once, which I'm doing, like I remember someone telling me at a party once, like, you know, there are other people who can be editors and this is just going to take away from your own creative practice and mm-hmm. its energy you're never going to get back. I think it kind of feeds into things in different ways where, you know, it's not like.
0: I think so too an
1: exchange but it's like i do get i i love working with artists and i like you know the so my basically my question right now is like should i just stop publishing the magazine and do books only because i've done like six or seven books by now and i like doing it and but i think for the the magazine is specifically emerging photography and i have had the feedback from people i've worked with that um it's less daunting if you're like a senior in college to put out a magazine and to think, oh, there could be a book later. It could have another form than to try and have a book that should express everything about who you are as an artist. So I think it's useful, but um, but I don't know. I guess with this like collection, I feel like I got everything organized and archived and filed the right way. And maybe now it's just a good time to try something else. Yeah. yeah I was reading the New York Times obituary of the guy who published Semiotexts. Uh,
0: and... The publisher of Semiotext?
1: Yeah, I guess, Silver Lodringer. I don't know how to pronounce his French name, mm. but um, he stopped publishing the magazine that he published at the height of its popularity, and mm. the quote that went with that statement was, uh, give the people what they want and they'll hate you for it. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I do think, I don't know, it's not like it's... Um, but yeah, I don't know. I am still. Um, I have ideas for new books that I want to publish, and I've been doing these like print editions with artists, which I like doing.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
1: with the magazine, I may start kind of putting my own work into it now and then, and I think that would make me feel more excited about right. publishing it.
0: Um, yeah, I could see that.
1: I should just say here's my project, and it's great. But I do think sometimes I have to question because there is only so much energy, right, that you can like dedicate to things. And with yeah. the magazine, it's like part of the deal is that it's like sold for the cost of printing and it kind of breaks even or it runs at a little bit of a loss. Mm-hmm. And So I'm not making money from it. The artists aren't making money from it. And it's was conceived as a space where that was very important. Right. Um, but it does take a lot of energy for something that does not produce any money. Yeah,
0: <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, I, I relate to that. I relate to that. And you, but sometimes it's good you know you just do work to to do it and because um and you're because you're making something that you're interested in and that you're into and yeah. and um and photography is it needs outlets i mean there are outlets that exist but there there aren't they are fewer and far between there's a lot more photographers that um that don't get to publish stuff or don't um don't have those facilities than ones that do and so I think that any initiative, anyone who does, um, you know, creates these spaces is important, whether it's like, I don't know, the space that we're in right now, another like initiative, which is fantastic or, you know, public books or magazines. It's, um, it's important.
1: I feel like all of these things that I embark on are, it's, I'm always thinking, oh, it's going to be five years or 10 years before this is even possible. But I think that's just something with getting older, you realize how, To make something... Takes time. ...really good takes time. Yeah. For me, at least.
0: I think for me, too. I think that's good. I think it's good. There's like, uh, I don't know, there's something beautiful about that.
1: Yeah, I'm not trying to have children, so this is it for me. (laughs) This is... (laughs) I just have the artworks.
0: I think that's a good note to end on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, thank you. Thanks so much for doing this with me. That was my conversation with Matt Lifeheight that we recorded in Ocean Hill, Brooklyn at his Matt HQ storefront. This episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman, and was edited by Ellen Payne-Smith. Original music for the show by Adam Feingold. To find out more about the show and browse our archive of over 50 interviews with photographers and people involved in the medium, visit us at www.magichourphoto.org and follow us on Instagram at magichourpodcast. You can also check out our new books that we just published, The Ice Palace is Gone by Ian Lewandowski and Peter Hujar's Day by Linda Rosencrantz. Thanks so much for tuning in and see you next time.